Happy Sabbath, everybody. Would you turn to somebody, just turn to somebody right now and say, man, you look beautiful today. Turn a different direction and say, man, you look amazing today. My name is, uh, thanks for having me. My name is Pastor Ikea, apparently. Thank you, Pastor Patio. Patio. You guys call him Patio from now on. You have my full permission. This is like a family, um, kind of like family gathering for me. Um, I didn't realize, but uh, so I've, I've, some of you here have been like connected with me through high school. Others of you are like family members, and um, I got to sing with Joe next to me, uh, Joe Kim, and I, uh, we sang in a little group back in high school. We had a little quartet. You remember that, Joe? Yeah, we were horrible. We were horrible, but we were together, and we got to stand together and sing some, and that was really nice. So it's good to see all of you. My name is Icky, spelled I-K-I, and I get the wonderful opportunity to start this brand new series, Christophany, with all of you guys. And I'm pretty excited about this. So let me start by sharing in the passage. Join me. I'm going to invite you to join me today. I want to invite you to close your eyes. Close your eyes, and I want you to open up your imagination box. Find yourself deep in creativity, and as you're listening to the passage, allow it to come to life. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form or void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. God, as we sit before your passage today, this ancient text, Spoken and shared from tribe to tribe, from generation to generation. As it journeyed through the Middle Eastern deserts into communities and metropolises, as it grew into the cities of Rome, flourished out through Europe and crossed the seas across the globe. May we now sit with that sacredness as you bless us speaking light into the chaos. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Let all God's people say, amen. amen. So when Patty invited me to come and share, like, the beginning of this particular series, I thought, you know, this is it. So I started working out this, like, apologetic discourse, and it was going to be uh, to prove without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was there at the, at the inception of human history, right? I wanted us to be able to walk away from place thinking, wow, I saw Jesus in the book of Genesis. But then I was troubled with this idea because I thought, I don't know if the Crosswalk family is going to feel that way, is excited about it, right? I don't know if you're going to be like, oh, yes, definitely, Jesus is in Genesis, my life is better, high five, haystacks, everybody. I, didn't, I don't think that would happen. 
So I was perplexed, if I'm going to be honest with you. I spent time over this. I was vexed. I was like, what, is, what does he want with this? Christophe? He, he wants me to, to show that Jesus is in Genesis, and what is that going to prove for any of us? So I'm going to try to find Jesus here. We're going to show that Jesus was there, and it just didn't land. Can I tell you when it landed for me? And I rewrote. It was last night. <laughs> Some of you are like, oh, snap. It's one of those sermons. Follow me. It was last night. I was driving back with my fam bam. We were coming back from the Riverside area, the desert from where no good things come from. And we were going back to where we lived, which is the ocean where heaven is. And we were going in that direction. And as I'm driving, my son, he's a little bit uncomfortable. He's a little bit tired. He's a little bit just pouty. And he couldn't get to me. And he just blurts out, Dad, why are you leaving? I said, what? He said, Daddy, you're leaving tomorrow morning. Why are you leaving me? I said, what do you mean, baby? He's like, Daddy, you never go without me. Why can you take me with you? I said, Uncle Patty didn't buy your ticket. (laughs) Well, who's Uncle Patty? Can you tell him? I said, no, baby, no. Why, Dad? Why? And my Christ epiphany struck. In my son's query about why. I've been trying to focus on the there, and I missed probably the more significant part, which is the, the why. And I think the there is important to be able to see. You know, there's moments where we need God to just be there. And we don't, God, we don't need you to explain us through this. We don't need you to figure this out for our life. But we just, we just need you there, right? And those moments are great, man. When you're like, you're just, you're in this space and you just need God to be there with you. But then there are moments when you definitely need a why. Because the why seems to be much more significant. The there is important as a catalyst for the why. I've been married to my wife now for 11 years Nine months, three weeks. Yes. Thank you. It took a lot of work, mathematics. My wife can't remember our anniversary for nothing. She's useless to me. I'm like, honey. She's like, yeah. What do you want to do for our anniversary next week? She's like, what? It's our anniversary? Come on, lady. Get it together. I know our dates. I know when we got married. We started dating exactly three years, one day before we got married. This is my thing. I love it. But can I tell you how we hooked up? Let me tell you the story how we hooked up. I, um, was, I just church planted. I love church plants. Penny and I were just talking about this. I, said, I, I feel you, man. I know what it's like, right? I just church planted. Um, I was single. We had a lot of young adults, you know, like young professionals in the L.A. They were coming, and they were all single. And some of them were dating. You know, we had maybe one or two that were actually married. But we were all just there together, you know. And my house was the center. Um, it wasn't the church. It was my house. I'd come home, and there would be people lying around that I had no idea who they were. I didn't know where they came from. I didn't know their names. You know, they had to be like, hey, yeah, John sent me over. Oh, which John? Got it. Okay. Um, can you lock up when you all leave? Right? This was like this. My wife uh, started coming to church. She was, she was actually part of a church that while she loved the people, it had literally squeezed the life out of the gospel. And so she was a professional. She was young. And she was, she was thinking about either, either just just going to find something that would feed her soul or leaving the church completely. She came to our church, and she started hanging out with all of us. And her and I were friends for about a year and a half, good friends, just friends. 
Then one of my close friends said to me, hey, Ick, don't you think it's time to get over the single thing? And I was like, no, I love this single thing. I can come home when I want. I can go out when I want. I can do visit people when I want. It's nice. He's like, I was like, no, 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 no. He's like, what about Melanie? I was like, no, bro. Because I knew early on, Melanie and I were friends. I knew that she had, she had started liking one of my friends. So I was like, hey, listen, she's got her own thing going. We were good friends. And he's like, but she's such an awesome person. I said, I know, but the problem is we're different. He says, how different? I said, well, for, you know, one thing, she loves Disneyland. You know? You know? And I love keeping money. You know? It don't work out. It doesn't work out. She's like, you know, like she's like seven years younger than me, man. I can't reference good music with her. Those millennials, they don't know music. He's like, look, man, you guys have been close friends. You've been good. You haven't been in a relationship in a while. You should really think about getting serious. You should consider, man, she, she loves God. She's always giving. She's always around. And I thought, oh, man, I, maybe. So one day I called him. I said, hey, hon. I didn't say, hey, hon, then. That would be weird. <laughs> hey, hon. Yes. Right. I said, hey, Mel, um, you want to hang out? She said, okay, we hung out. We were hanging out. We were starting to hang out a little bit more. But I didn't want to commit to a relationship because I was worried. Like, what if we got together and then I found out she was like an axe murderer? I didn't want that. You know, or what if we got together and I found out we just weren't, like, it's not good. And, like, she's at my church. So I was like, I don't know how to break this up. So I'm just going to move to a different church in a different country. You know, I couldn't do that. So I was like, let's, let's go. Yeah, you know, we were getting close. I said, let's go for a walk. She says, okay. She comes over to the house. We go for a walk. We walk up and we hike up. And I did this thing with her. I made a covenant with her. I said, hey, so, you know, I think we'd be a good match. She says, yeah, I think so too. I think so. See, my wife's side of the story is this, that we, we uh, both, that God revealed to both of us at the same exact time that we belong together. That's her, that's her story. She said, I just wasn't smart enough to catch it early enough. So she had to wait around for me. And so we got together and I said, so yeah, like what do you think? She's like, yeah, that's good. And I said this, okay, but, but how about let's be friends with intentions to date? And she's like, what does that even mean? What are you talking about? I said, you know, it's like when two parties come together to try an acquisition of some sort, a merger, and in that trial period, it's probationary. And if it happens that one of us is an axe murderer, the other one can back away and nobody will be mad. She's like, that sounds pretty like noncommittal. Are you noncommittal? I said, no. I just don't like Disneyland. <laughs> she was like, all right, fine. Yeah, that's, that's great. From the minute we made this pact, let me tell you, I fell in love with this woman. I couldn't, I couldn't stop calling her. She, we, she left that day. I was calling her. Like, hey, are you almost home? She's like, I just left your house. I know. I'm just checking, you know, because now we're, you know, we've got this covenant. She's like, what does that even mean, right? I'm like talking to her, man. I, from that moment forward, something happened to me where I just couldn't get enough of her. So I would be calling. We'd be talking. And about two weeks into our covenant or whatever this thing is, she says, hey, Icky, I've got to leave town with my family for a couple weeks. This is in 2007, ladies and gentlemen. Do we remember 2007? 
right? Facebook was barely a thing. Instagram, I don't even think, was around at the time. Like, you couldn't get good connection across the sea. When somebody left the, the country, it was like they died. You had to email and wait for an email back. If they sent you a picture of what they were doing, it come like, pixelated. You have to guess where they were at in the world. She said, hey, my, my family and I, we're going to go on a trip. We'll be a couple weeks, two and a half weeks. I said, cool, girl, go, do your thing. I'm so used to being a, a, a single person doing my thing. Go, get on out of here. Go on. She said, okay. This girl got on the plane and left me cold for two and a half weeks. I'm like looking at my phone. No calls. Okay. Maybe she's alive. Maybe she's dead. I don't know. So then, you know, I get an email. Hey, we're in Thailand. It's really hard to communicate, but I just, we're doing okay. What? You're in Thailand? Is that where you were going? Did you get stolen? What happened? Nothing. Two and a half weeks pass. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you, when my wife's plane landed back in LAX, I was at LAX waiting there for the plane to hit the ground. She comes out of the terminal. I'm like, yay, where you been? Am I crazy? She's like, what? Why, are you, why are you here? I said, I just realized something while you were gone. I love you. She's like, what, what? I said, yes. You remember we were going to try that trial period? I said, I'm over it. Can we start now? Can, can we be that thing? I said, sure. Three years, one day later, we get married. 11 years, nine months, three weeks, we've been married. We have a minivan. <laughs> a very old Prius. Two kids we love and hate. Bills, home, all because she went somewhere that was a catalyst for me to figure out why we needed to be together. Jesus, the where here in the book of Genesis is imperative only to show the significance of the why. And so as I think about what is happening here, as, as we imagine together the beginning of Genesis, the Israelites... These Israelites, let's consider them. They've, they've been in bondage. They've been held in systematic enslavement. Their numbers have been controlled so that they were killing, the, the oppressors were killing their sons. So there wasn't enough of them to, to, to grow out of control. They were once the people of a covenant, the people of a promise. They were given the, 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 the promise that they would flourish in this world, that they would be a, a people of a priesthood. So they were moving forward until oppression. And once oppression came, it changed the identity of who they were. They forgot that they were covenant people. They forgot the promises God had for them. They forgot who God was calling them to be because they had been under systematic oppression. And in this place, their identity changes. So you see, the creation story is a powerful story for Moses and his leaders. 
You see, it's powerful because as Moses begins to share that this is a God who created all things, who created light and then separated it, who created the, the, the firmament, who created the land and all things on it, who created the seas and all things in it. This God who created all things is for you. He's on your side. He's a part of your story. Then these, these people who were systematically oppressed, who had this identity change, as they were freed, in that freedom, they didn't have structure. They moved from a very structured, uh, systematic oppression to freedom, which creates chaos, because now they don't know what to do with each other. So the, the, this, this Genesis story reminds them that God moves the people or the world from chaos to a living, creative structure. They are moving from enslavement and structure that is oppressive to chaos, but they are reminded in the Genesis story that God takes chaos and hear this story over and over and over again. They begin to recognize that the God who created all things happens to be the big G whose oppressor's gods come from. The God of fertility, the God of harvest, the God of the sun, the God of light. All of these gods that their oppressors serve belonged to the big God who created all things. And so now their identity begins to shift from those who were oppressed by powerful people to people whose God is greater than their oppressors. Identity begins to shift. They move from the economics of Egyptian oppression to the, the, the theology and the lifestyle of a creation-based hope. And so they begin to read this in the story, and here is where John jumps in, right? John jumps in in this place as John begins to, to, uh, to, to share this bigger kaleidoscopic picture of who God is. Um, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, let us make man in our image, says God, in our image. John clarifies that as he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So when we hear Genesis say, let us make man in our image, we also hear John echoing that and saying, yes, and who makes man but God and the logos, his word. When God breathes into his cosmic lungs, the expression of life, beauty, and truth is Jesus enfleshed in the world. Jesus, the one who is the logos that becomes flesh, tangible and real. Things change. They are now beginning to realize that they are made in God's image. In our world today, this is how it makes sense for me. In our world today, we live in a world that is hustle and bustle. We live in a world that is constantly vying for our need to keep busy. As Adventists, we, we have at least the Sabbath, right? But we have used the Sabbath incorrectly. We've created the Sabbath to be some salvific tool that keeps certain people in and some people saved. And that's not what God called us to. 
The Sabbath was created not for a cosmic, everlasting, uh, uh, salvific day or salvation. It's called for a practical, everyday salvation. It's the thing we do when we say we're going to stop and be who God created us to be. We don't get to partake in the making and the creating. We get to be a part of the creation. I don't have to work for my identity. I don't have to earn my value. I don't have to impress others for my worth. All of that comes from Jesus. The Israelites had to move past an identity that was broken. I don't know if you've ever been there where you've been through some stuff. Maybe you've been in a relationship that was abusive and it's created some brokenness in you, right? It's in an identity that you've had to, to try to harvest past. We hear Paul say in the book of, of Ephesians that we are God's masterpiece, yet we struggle with the fact that we have brokenness in our past and we don't know how to align those identities. Maybe some of us are, 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 are so busy trying to earn enough money. Maybe some of us are, are, are trying to, 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 to get further in our careers. Maybe it's that next degree. Maybe it's, it's the children. And we've got all these things that we would like to help create value for us. Jesus says, stop, find value in me. So Jesus creates, and as he creates, we find him down at the end, creating Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve is created on day six. And then God says, this is what you can do on day six. And then God says, all right, you've worked too hard. Let's take a break. Isn't that interesting? God created Adam and Eve. And then he says, now rest. Sabbath begins. Jesus does this thing for identity where he created them, and then he says, don't work. The first thing I need you to do is recognize that your value isn't that you made any of this stuff. Adam and Eve weren't tired. They were just made. They ain't done nothing. You know what I mean? Lord, you've made us. Yeah, now take a break. That was a lot of work for me. <laughs> they didn't do nothing. Why did they get a break right away? Because God had to make sure that Adam and Eve's first thing they do is recognize that all of this stuff was not their doing. And sometimes in life, you and I have got to stop and recognize that all the stuff happening is not our doing. This is not my value. This is not my, I don't get to be special because of this. No, all things come from God. And as we enter a Sabbath, you recognize Sabbath starts when? Sundown to? Sundown to sundown. When does our workday begin? Most of us, normal human beings. There are some nocturnal animals out there. Sunrise, right? On a Sabbath, they wake up. They were told to rest. The first thing they do normally as human beings, in our, the way our clocks work, is we get up to do work, to, to be uh, productive, to create something. To, we want to do that. The first thing they had to do when they wake up was recognize that the work had already started the night before. And that all they could do was come and be there and enjoy and be a part of the value. Church, it's easy for us to sing songs that say we are freed from sin. 
but the system of sin that is attached to identity is painful. The stuff in our past that follows us. You're too fat, you're too skinny, you're too stupid. The abuse that we've gone through from institutions, maybe the church, follows us. And it's, it's from the enemy for you to ever think that you are not made in God's image. Jesus created you the way that you are, specially and uniquely, and we must celebrate that. Yes, you are beautiful. Yes, you are amazing. And if there's anything that distracts you from that, if there are, are relations that are tearing you from if there's an institution or, a, or a, some kind of system that is tearing from you, that is not from God. The Israelites had to recognize this as they hear Jesus say, let us make man in our image. Gustav, Gusto Gonzalez is a liberation theologian, South American. He specializes um, in Latin work. He, know, he recognizes that the problem with Adam and Eve when the serpent came was that they missed who they were really made after. Because he says to them, hey, if you, uh, if you eat of this fruit, you will become like who? Like God, right? You will have knowledge, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God. They had forgotten that at the inception of their birth, God made them in God's image. They didn't need the fruit to be like God. They were made in God's image. You don't have to go chasing after those empty dreams, those empty calories, that empty job, that empty reputation. You are beautiful and amazing just the way Jesus made you. Um, so, some of you may know, some of you may not, my story. I am a sixth-generation Adventist. Sixth-generation Adventist in here? Any sixth-generation Adventist? Heathens, all of you. <laughs> Come sit at my feet later. I'll share how you can be more Adventist. My grandmother's grandmother came over on the very first Adventist missionary boat, the Pitcairn. And uh, she landed in Tonga. So I'm super Adventist, and I'm super Adventist. I'm, I'm thinking of haystacks right now. I'm super Adventist, let me tell you. <laughs> we came to America in 1981. Uh, my mom had cancer. My dad flew us out to New Zealand for her breast cancer, and, her, um, and she was pregnant with my little sister. The doctor said, hey, uh, with the treatment, back in the, in the late 70s, early 80s, our treatment, the, the baby's lost, so just you probably should get rid of it. And my mom said, no, we're going to have it. So we came over to America, and we were here in America. And um, while we were here, our visas ran out, and so we became undocumented immigrants. Uh, some know us as illegal immigrants. So I was undocumented here all my life until I was about 30, which means it was the majority of my life I was undocumented. I'm a citizen now. Yeah, you can't get rid of me. Sorry. <laughs> I grew up here as an undocumented immigrant. And it's a scary place to be. Because who do you trust, right? My dad never gave up on us, man. 
I'll tell you, I've only made it this far because of my parents. My dad used to say things like, son, you can do anything you want to do. Whatever you put your mind to, God's going to help you. He's going to follow through, and it's going to be amazing. Just go for it, son. What do you want to And I'd be like, Dad, you think I can be the president of America someday? Yes, son. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. No, you can't. They don't let undocumented people be the president of America. What's, my, what's wrong with my, but that's my dad. My dad's like, whatever you believe, you can do it because God is on your side. You got to believe that. And I said, you, okay, dad. I said, you know, one time I said, dad, we're going to start a band. We're going to be a band, all of us. And he said, yes, you guys are going to be the most amazing band ever. You and your siblings, two of my siblings can't sing. They can't hold a note for nothing. You can do it, son, because God is on your side. So I grew up with this identity where a part of me in the world was scared to move forward in life because, because uh, you know, all the stories you hear, anybody could turn you in. Uh, any siren, as an illegal immigrant growing up, any siren was a scary siren. We didn't know the difference between an ambulance and a police uh, officer. When a siren went off, hey, we got to go, man. We got to go out of here. This was a life that we grew up in, in the world that we faced, that continued to press on us what our identity should look like. But in my home, I had two parents who were so faithful to God, and they just knew that if you could stay focused on Jesus, and if you could hear what Jesus is saying to you about you, you can do anything. So my dad, every day, would come in and pray with me, and he said, yes, son, you are amazing. Don't worry about what anybody else says. You can do this. You were made in God's image. Go for it. And I'd visit the world, and when I'd be out there, the world would press on me. No, Icky, you're, you don't belong here. You're otherized. You're second class. And if we catch you, you're in trouble. And then I'd go home, and my dad would say, don't listen to them. They don't know Jesus like we know Jesus. They don't know the power that God has to do amazing things. And son, just keep your eyes on Jesus. I got all the way through my high school years. My senior year, I was there. I didn't want to leave my dorm room because they were pressuring me to go down to the Social Security office to get my Social Security number. So if you're, like, undocumented, you don't know the difference between um, the Social Security office and immigrant, Im- Im- uh, immigration. So when uh, the principal at the time came to my room, he said, hey, you got to go down and, and, and get your, get your, we're going to go, I'm going to take, I'm going to drive you to Social Security. And I said, no, no, what about my family? He was a Samoan bull of a guy. He's like my dad. He said, let me into the room. I said, no, you're going to turn me in. He said, who am I going to turn you into? I said, you're going to turn me into Social Security office. Yes. That's exactly what I'm going to do. No. He hears me sobbing on the other side of the door in my my dorm room. He says, why are you crying? He's like a dad to me, you know. I let him in. He comes sit down. He says, what's what's wrong with you? And it was the first time, it was my my senior year in high school, the first time I was able to admit it out loud. I said it out loud to someone else, and I said, PK, I don't have any papers. And I don't want you to turn me in because I don't want to miss out on my family. And PK says, Oh, son, are you crazy? I'm not going to turn you in. 
I was taken. I didn't even know about this. Why didn't you tell me? I said, I grew up. I couldn't tell anybody, right? Like, this is my identity. I, I, I've been boxed in. I don't know what to do. And he says, well, don't worry about it. So we prayed. We prayed and we prayed. He said, listen, I'm going to go and talk to the administration, okay? I said, okay. I didn't hear anything about it that year. They let me back my senior year. I didn't hear anything about it that year. Coming up to graduation, I owe the school like $5 billion at this point. I see the business officer. I'm coming around the corner and he sees me. He says, hey, Icky. I said, hey, Mr. Meharry, what's up? He says, come here, I got to talk to you. I said, what? He said, come here, I got to talk to you. And I came over and this soft-spoken little white man from I don't know where, somewhere in the, in the Midwest, you know, just the sweetest old can be, man. This guy is made of like peanut butter and jelly, man. I love it. He said, listen, I just want to come here close. And he puts his arms around me and he says, you know what? I said, what? He says, you got this. And then he walks away like the Holy Ghost. He disappears. <laughs> Whence he came from, I don't know. I graduate that school year as an undocumented immigrant here in the United States. Two years later, I get a letter from, from my school and they say, we've decided unanimously to forgive your debt. You can be proud that you are here at this institution. I go to school at the, at the university. I graduate. My papers are working out. And so I'm telling God, I said, God, I want to do ministry for you, God. You know what? I've, I've decided this is your calling for my life. I'm going to follow you. Um, and you have to make it real. And, and as I was there, I had some man, an official human being from a conference. He sees me. He says, hey, Icky, can I talk to you? And I said, what's up? He says, listen, I just want to tell you, you probably should think about doing something else with your life. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, well, listen, I just want you to know, look at you, you don't, you don't really fit the pastoral type. I said, oh, there's a pastoral type? He's like, yes. You don't dress like the other students? You don't preach like them? You know, it's just too much, too much laughing going on. That's just, we don't do that in church. Really? You don't laugh in church? What kind of church you go to? You don't have any family members to help you out, get to where you need to go. So listen, what you need to do is change jobs. And, and at that point, I had been through so much um, uh, uh, in my process of who I was and who I was becoming. I'd heard my father's voice. I heard my PK's voice. I'd heard the voice of administration. I heard the voice of the church that had pressed me to this place that said to me, Icky, you are made in the image of God. You are amazing just the way you are. You have a calling and a purpose. And so I said to my man, I said, thank you so much for your advice. I'm so thankful you are not God. He said, well, I was just trying to help you. Well, you're not. You're not helping me. God has given me a calling. God has put me in this place to be who I was called to be. And so I will walk forward in the, this right because I've heard Jesus say, I have made you in my image. You are a masterpiece created to do good things. If you leave here today, I want you to know, if you've got stuff you are struggling through that is pressing against your heart, that is tearing you apart, anxiety, uh, uh, insecurity, um, um, anger, and hate, those things are not from God. You were created in God's image. You are beautiful. You are amazing. You have a purpose. Leave this place pressed upon you to live to your highest potential. Because that 
is what it means to be made in the image of God. Let's pray. God, we've spent time looking at this beautiful passage in Genesis. We've heard the echoing of John as he places the word there at the creation. We felt the power of this triunal God creating us in your image. We are reminded that our identity is not set upon our goals, our busyness, our livelihood, our reputation. But as you've instituted the Sabbath on that creation week, we are to come into it and find our value and worth in you who's already done the work. So move us from this place more freed and more excited, more hopeful and more engaged to be the people you have made us to be. Bless us, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Let all God's people say, amen.